John chapter 11, beginning at verse number 17. Reading from the New International Version, your word made me differently, but it is the fresh, uh, present word of God. It says these words. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now God will do whatever you ask, give whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise on the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever believes, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Look at someone around you and just say, neighbor, do you believe that? You may be seated even in the presence of the Lord. Do you believe that? You know what makes me want to slap Chris Rock? I'm going to just get it out the way. I'm going to just get it out the way. Since everybody won't talk about it, everybody got an opinion, I'm going to tell you, what would you, people that don't know how to unmute themselves on Zoom. I don't get it, right? We've been in this thing for two years, and you still got your face in the camera, don't know where the unmute button is. I don't get it. It's been, it's been two years, and I, I can't stand it because I don't know about y'all, but as much as we talk about meetings and meeting agendas and, and Zoom calls, the thing I'm learning about meetings, I don't know about at the beginning of the pandemic, I was able to put like six meetings in like six four hours, right? You have two computers on, one got the camera on, one doesn't have the camera on. You act like you're working, but you really did an eight-hour work day in four hours, and you were at Target the last four hours, right? I mean, it, it's amazing, these meetings and meeting agendas and Zoom calls and all of this. Meetings purpose, and they begin with the agenda. Every meeting, when you begin to, good meetings have agendas, because the purpose of the agenda is to optimize outcomes. We're going to come in there, we know the people, the skill set of people in the room, we're going to do our very best to optimize the outcomes because of skill sets and rooms, and the agenda sets that. This is what's important. This is what's not important. At the beginning of the meeting, this is what we're setting forth in terms of vision, mission, goals, and values. This is how we're ending vision and action steps. All of this comes together with meetings and agendas and how we handle our meetings. I think one of the things that this meeting season and time frame has done for a lot of us has caused us to take that framework of optimizing outcomes to our time with God. That we go to God with a carefully planned agenda of exactly how we're going to navigate our prayer time. And we go to God because we know God's skill set. Instead of treating God like the friend and leader that God is, we go to God like God is some co-worker or God is some employee. And so our thanks to God becomes water cooler talk. Our pausing to honor God becomes the email we send to acknowledge to God that God received our task and we're going to take on our action step. And the only time we wait because we're impatient is because we've given God the next step. We've told God when God needs to be good. We told God that I'm busy on Tuesday, but if you bless me on Thursday, I'll come to church on Sunday. And God, I know you're good, but I got an agenda when I go to my prayer time. And what's frustrating is that when it comes to God, God does not work on our agenda. God is not dumbed down to the agenda we tell him he needs to finish. And there's so many people, because if, if God were dumbed down to our agenda, there are people you have fired in your head 15 times. There are so many people in your life you've sent to hell and they keep being on earth. People you have buried, jobs you quit. I wish I had somebody. If your boss ever read the email you wrote in your mind, because you got pre I wish I had a witness, you got predetermined outcomes. And our frustration with God is that we know 
that God is able to do all things. God just is not doing it on my timeline. Friends, faith is not telling God your expectations on your timeline and forcing God to adhere to your timeline. Faith is trusting that if I live on God's agenda, God's agenda is more flavorful, God's agenda is more colorful than anything God can do exceedingly and abundantly all I can ever begin to ask, think, or imagine. But yet we're telling God to do things that we're asking, think, and imagine. Faith says, God, I trust you because you're God. And we'll free a whole bunch of us from unnecessary stress, gray hair too early, angry prayers, emotional imbalance in your life, and physical sickness and disobedience is if you trust that the same God that carved out earth is the same God that can handle your staff meeting. I'm going I'm to I'm rewind and press play on that because that was good. The same God who carved out earth can handle staff meetings. The same God who raised his son from the dead can handle your wayward child. The same God that moved you the last two years can move you forward to the next 10 years. Do you trust God when God deviates from your agenda and God positions you back on his agenda? That's that's John chapter 11. I'm going to work this. John gives us this marvelous story. John's gospel always intrigues me. John was writing, we know, in the time of Gnostics and these individuals who are arguing that whether or not Jesus was fully God and fully human. So in that case, John does something so beautiful that he gives us this gospel to put flesh on Jesus, to put skin on Jesus, to give us the humanity of Jesus. And this humanity in John shows us the powerful nature of Jesus' ministry. Because John fills time, if you will, to fill the gaps in that Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of missed. Um, you know this, that Mark was the one who gave us the messianic secret. He was writing at a time where people were being killed just because they knew Jesus. And so Mark's favorite word in the gospel of Mark is the word immediately. Because the thing about Jesus that's so frustrating is that Jesus never stays where you put him. You put him over here in your problem, he ends up in your pride. You put him over here in your, in your friendships, he ends up in your marriage. Like God, Jesus has a wonderful way of never staying where you put Jesus. That's what Mark's trying to show us, that Jesus has this powerful secret of the Messiah. Then Matthew was a Jew writing to Jews about a Jew who did a whole bunch of Jewish stuff. And everything in the Gospel of Matthew is all about a Jew. And Matthew's trying to reconcile the Old Testament all coming to pass. And then Luke was a writer, we believe, wrote a letter to a brother named Theophilus to defend Paul. As Paul was going up for being, being stoned for like the 15th, 20th millionth time, as Paul was going up to be stoned, this letter to Theopolis was writing to defend Paul that the ministry that Paul did was actually what Jesus did on earth. He did a ministry to the least, the lost, the left out, the left over, and the looked, uh, left behind. Every gospel had a goal. And so John comes along and says, here's my goal. I want to show you that what, who Jesus was in public is who he was in private. And so in John, we see his emotions. He wept. He had engagement with family. Jesus was a lot like a whole bunch of us. He had emotions. He had family drama. I wish I had a witness. He had friend issues. He had folk trying to get all up in his business. He had folk who only wanted to show up at night because they got questions for him. And he had some people who wanted his gift more than they wanted him. Jesus was a 33-year-old man who had purpose and a whole bunch of crazy folk around him. And his purpose got people to follow him. And so I love this because as Jesus gets near his death, he begins to tell his people all around him, people in the community, and people he trusted, these I am statements. These I am statements are moving people for what they thought about Jesus to Jesus saying, if you're going to talk about me, let me tell you what to talk about. 
And Jesus says that as I'm moving closer to purpose, Easter, I'm getting someplace. As I'm moving closer to what I came to earth for, let me make sure that I don't give you the wiggle room to tell me who I am. I'm going to tell you who God has called me to be. He says, I'm the vine. I'm the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. These messianic and theological principles are powerful because Jesus says, I want us to get to a place where you stop allowing people who aren't you tell you who you are. And he says, let me tell you who I am. I am who God has called me to be. And maybe that's a word to somebody on Facebook this morning. Quit allowing others to tell you that you are your worst mistake. Quit allowing people who aren't you tell you how to live the life that God gave you. Jesus says, let me stop it right here. I am who God called me to be. Jesus said, if you're going to talk about me, let me tell you what to talk about. If you're going to do something, let me give you the language. How you going? If you're going to scandalize me, at least spell my name right. I am who God called me. I wish I had a witness in here. For some of you, the greatest freedom that you need right now is to stop living by the definition of people who aren't you. Stop living by the definition of somebody else's insecurity. Stop living by the definition of people who are threatened by your security and remind somebody, I was saved by God. I was made by God. I look like what God made me to be. I walk like this because I can back it up. I talk like this because I can back it up. And it ain't because I got a big ego, but God has smiled on me. I wish I had somebody and he has set me free. Somebody shout, I am. Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'm over being around people whose insecurity screams at me, their lack of security. So Jesus says, if you want to know who I am, let me grab a hold of my identity. I am what God called me to be. And church, that's what made Caiaphas and all these other religious leaders frustrated. When Jesus began to vocalize who he was, they said, we got to kill him. Can I just put a, put a nickel in the beater and park right there? You know why people can't stand you? Because you're you. Never allow people who can't stand themselves make you sit down on who you are. Oh, that's so good. That's tweetable. At your boy so I know it's real. I said, never let people who don't understand themselves make you sit down. When Jesus said who he was, Caiaphas and Pilate said, we got to get rid of him. Because in a world of insecurity, the world of insecurity can't stand people who are secure in themselves. When you own that you've been redeemed by God, somebody's going to threaten that redemption. When you own that God has smiled to you, somebody's going to try to block your shine. But I want to let you know that it is identity that gets you aligned with purpose that threatens people. But every time there's revelation, there's going to be resistance. But you've been equipped to handle the resistance. Jesus is at the temple, the temple festival of tabernacles in John 10. He's vocalizing who he is. He leaves, and because of the threats against his life, he goes across the River Jordan. People follow him, and the disciples and Jesus both know that right now, if Jesus goes back into Jerusalem, they'd die. He knew Caiaphas was going to try to kill him. He knew Pilate, as crazy as Pilate's been, and what he's done in Rome for years, that he would come along. And Jesus receives word that purpose is coming. How is purpose coming? How is Easter coming? How is death coming? How is Good Friday coming? He hears Lazarus is sick. Your, your friend, Lazarus, your friend, Martha, your friend, Mary, their brother is sick. The family that Jesus, the, the safe environment that Jesus had to go to Bethany for years is being threatened because if he goes back, he knows everything that will be set in motion because of one truth. Lazarus is sick. And Minister E.K., I love this because Jesus makes the conscious decision in John chapter 11, not to go back to Lazarus. 
As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Jesus literally stays on the other side. And so the first day, a messenger gets to Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says, the way it's written in the Greek, it was multiple times, about 18 times, we believe, that Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick. First time he hears it, all right, that's cool. I'll get there. First, next time he hears it, all right, that's cool. He intentionally stays away from going back to Mary and Martha's house. He less than a day's journey, about an 18-hour walk. Jesus cared about them. Jesus, Jesus loved them. And here's what makes it even worse. Jews believed that after three days of death, there was a spirit that hovered over people. And so that if you were going to be healed, you needed to be there in the middle of three days. The Bible says Jesus intentionally stayed away for four days. He, he kills this tradition that you got to do things with superstition because he's getting beyond the foolish traditions we started to make sure that we trust Jesus. Because some of, oh God, I'm, since I'm there, some of our worst issues in worship and churchitizing Jesus is that Jesus breaks traditions to get our focus back on him. Oh, since I'm in the mud, I might as well stay there. That's why you don't know how to lift your hands on certain praise and worship songs because he's breaking your tradition to get you focused on him. Oh, that's why you can't stand drums in church because he's breaking the tradition to get you focused on him. That's why you ain't going to like when I wear T-shirts because he's breaking the tradition to get you focused on him. But what would church look like if I came to church saying, where can I find Jesus? What would my worship look like if I came here saying, I don't care who's here. I don't care what song we sing. I don't care what color we wear. As long as I got Jesus, when I walk into this place, I'll leave out better than how I came in. Jesus breaks a tradition. And it's so powerful because he stays where he was. He makes the conscious decision not to go to people he said he loved. And his great love for them made him not go. Because some of us, the greatest blessing you received in your life, and you don't want to admit it, is that there were times you begged Jesus to show up, and he stayed away. Because it was in Jesus' staying away that he forced your faith to trust him. It was in Jesus' staying away he began to write a new chapter of your story. It was when Jesus stayed away he showed you that you cannot force Jesus to come down to your expectations, but he'll raise your faith to where he is. I'm talking Jesus stayed over the Jordan because let me tell you, the miracle is not a miracle if you control the miracle. I'm going to say that again. The miracle is not a miracle if you control the miracle because Jesus is not here for your designated optimized outcomes. He's here to grow up your faith. It's in this dichotomy and we see the pliability of our faith, the flexibility of our faith, that our faith is never so strong that it can't get stronger. You are never so deep that your faith cannot be deepened and stretched and reimagined. I'm thankful there are times where I told Jesus when to show up, and he stayed away. He knew of the real and the imagined threats of coming back to Judea. He knew there were people trying to kill him. There was a community questioning his credentials. Jesus knew the journey back to Bethany and Judea would kill him because of the threats would not move from talk. They moved to actualization. He knew that being two miles away from Jerusalem, we begin the journey towards dying because that's all he came down to the earth to do. He came to die that we might have life. And Jesus stays away because he not only was growing their faith, but Minister Michelle, he was preparing them for what he knew was beyond this moment. He knew that in due season, 
There's not a lot of safe places the disciples and the people of God were going to have. And he knew that Lazarus would have to assist him and assist the community. He knew Mary and Martha would be raised to another level. He knew the disciples would desert them. And the only way they come back together is the wisdom of this family. Jesus stays away because he's reminding us that kingdom is bigger than your comfort. That Jesus, his kingdom is tearing down anything that stands in opposition to what the Father wants to build. That's kingdom. Kingdom means the temporary inconvenience of a distant Jesus for the long-term satisfaction of the resurrection. Because the storm you're in right now, it feels like Jesus is distant, but he's just preparing you. The situation you're enduring right now, it feels like God is away. He's just preparing you because Jesus knows the temporary inconvenience will raise the standard of trust in your faith that when the next storm comes, you can look at the storm and say, peace, be still. That's why my grandmama put it like this. She said, if I never had a problem, I I wouldn't know (laughs) that God could solve them. So I thank God for my mountains. I thank God for my valleys because it was there I learned something about God I didn't even know was possible, and he added a testimony to my story. Four days gone by. I'm almost done. Jesus stays away for four days. Lazarus has been dead, deader than dead, and that's where we get verse number 17. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Jesus shows up four days later. People from all around have traveled into the, in the middle of this hot weather to be present with Mary and Martha, and in this time after the funeral has started, Jesus walks in like nothing's wrong. Grab this picture. I want y'all to be honest with me tonight. Martha, Martha's family done traveled in from Jerusalem got a hotel in the middle of the place. Lazarus' real friends are there because you, Jesus, calling yourself a real friend. You came four days after he died. Mary's too angry to even come see Jesus. The funeral arrangements have been made. We've anointed this man's body with frankincense and myrrh. We've wrapped it up, put it there. He smells like death. And now, the son of God, with the stench of death. You know, it's amazing to me. It's one thing to live in the stench of death, but there's nothing like the smell of dead hope. Martha, with the stench of dead hope, recognizing that my dreams for my life have now been shattered because now the only man in our house is dead. And according to Jewish custom and tradition, now we're positioned in the places of being widows and orphans. And now, Jesus, you waited four days and you know what will happen if Lazarus stays dead. Martha walks up to Jesus in the fragment of her hope. Martha walks up to Jesus in the pieces of her shattered dreams. Martha walks up to Jesus of the uncertainty of what's to come in her home. How may she be used? Now, what's going to happen to my life or my body? The frustration of my friendship with Jesus. And she says to Jesus what I feel a lot of us want to say to Jesus sometime. Jesus, if you would have been here. I wish y'all, if you're honest with me. Jesus, if you would have done what I told you to do, when I told you to do it, then my marriage would look different. Jesus, if you would have been here. Jesus, if you would simply have given me what I wanted, Jesus, Lazarus would still be alive. And you got the nerve to call yourself my friend. Y'all know, y'all know Mary was a sister. She had that neck roll. You, you got the nerve to say you love me. You got the, if you would have been here. And I want us to be honest this morning because I feel like a lot of us are wrestling with some if Jesus only would have done this in our lives. If Jesus would have only healed my body, you know how different my job would have been? If Jesus would have only saved my marriage from that text message situation, if Jesus would have only reopened my church earlier, 
Oh, I ain't scared of none of y'all. If Jesus would have only fired my coworker when I told God to fire that coworker, my life would look different. My hope would be a little different. My opportunities would be different. My future would look different. Jesus, if you would have just done what I told you to do when I told you to do it, and as faithful as you are, as Christian as you are, as churchy as you are, there are times in all of our lives where you look up towards heaven and say, God, if you would have done it the way I told you to do it. Let me just put another nickel in the meter park right there. Church, I recognize I'm some bald-headed 6'5 brother from Rhode Island. Some of y'all don't even know what Rhode Island is. Don't act like you do Newport. Y'all know where it is. Two years ago, your church looked a whole lot different. And I'm sure for some of you right now, you're sitting here saying, I, I get it. I like his little robe and he bald-headed, he beard, nice and fresh. Shout out Christian Tobin. But Jesus, if, if, if you would have just been here, who is this pastor? Is he going to scream like this every week? What is church going to look like going forward? They sang a hymn. Are we going to do multiple ones? Why was he? Oh, God. He, he was yelling at the beginning of worship. What are we going to do? Jesus, if you would have been here, my church would look a whole lot different. Y'all could be honest with me tonight. Jesus, if you would have been here in COVID-19, COVID-45, COVID-16, 19, COVID-CRT, COVID what yet to come. If you would have been here, Jesus. Jesus, if you would have been here, people wouldn't have died. We wouldn't have had funeral after funeral after funeral and not many baby dedications. Jesus, if you would have just been here. This is where Jesus grows our faith. Because Martha vocalizes a narrative of faith that dictates what Jesus should have done. Jesus, if you would have been here, Lazarus would be alive. Martha, Mary would not be angry. You could have done your ministry. Your name would be all out there if you would have just been here. But here's what I love about Jesus. This is where our faith grows. Because Jesus was not there, we now know that Jesus can resurrect the dead. Because Jesus was not there, we know that Martha's faith is able to handle death. Because Jesus was not there, we know that death is not an issue for God. Because Jesus was not there, we know that Jesus knows how to bring everything back to life. Because Jesus wasn't there, your marriage got stronger. Because Jesus wasn't there, your children came back home. Because Jesus wasn't there, your church is getting strong. Am I talking to anybody in the building? I'm glad he wasn't there because he grew my faith up. What aspect of God's glory are you restricting from because of your agenda? What about grace have you not learned yet because you're telling God how to give you grace? Oh, my God. What about mercy have you not discerned because you're telling God how to give you mercy? Jesus, if you would have been here, my faith would be dry. Jesus, if you would have been here, I would have gotten comfortable calling you at the last second and not trusting you in the journey. Jesus, if you would have been here, I would have gotten comfortable with other people thinking they can tell me how to get to you instead of all of us trusting when you'll show up. Church friendship, I pray that God grows our faith, that we can get to a place in our church where we can say, God, send us thousands of people saved in one day. God, I want to baptize in the ocean. God, I want to knock down buildings and build up your community. God, I want to preach the gospel so that addicts will come and lay down needles and drunks will lay down bottles. God, I want my faith to be so grown that marriages are reconciled inside of my church. Adultery is not welcome here. Anger does not come here because, God, I want you to grow up my faith so I can trust you to do exceedingly and abundantly. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I love this conversation, man. That Martha has with him. She says, if you would have been here, and I gotta put Lester translation on this. Jesus, if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have been dead. Sis, sis, chill. Your brother will rise again. 
Jesus, I know, on that great day of resurrection, he going to be raising. Mar- Martha was brilliant. She knew, yes, Jesus, I know in the future, down the road, in that great day, when everybody comes back, I'll see Lazarus, and oh, what a wonderful time. Some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. I'll be at rest. I'll put on my little golden shoes. I'm going to walk around heaven. Jesus, I get it on the last day. I get Jesus. Says, no, 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 sis, 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 chill. I am resurrection. Some of y'all miss y'all shout cue, right? Jesus says, I love the Greek of this. The Greeks takes out the word the. We added the in. Jesus doesn't say, I am the resurrection. I am resurrection. The, the, the Greek also puts it in the present tense. So I'm resurrection right now. Then he says, and after resurrection happens, I am life now and forever. Jesus says, what you need, Martha, is in front of you. Because when I walk in the room, the party don't start till I walk in because death can't be around me. Pain can't be around me. Negativity can't be around me. Hurt can't be around me because I am resurrection right now. And then once it happens, okay, watch this. I'll bring your marriage back together right now. And once it's together, I'll keep it together. I'll bring your child home right now. And once they're home, I'll keep them home. Jesus says, I am resurrection. I am life. He says, I'm not the future. I'm right now. Then he asked her this wonderful question. Martha, since I'm resurrection in life, do you believe this? He doesn't give this truth to the disciples, to Lazarus, to Mary. Lazarus is still dead. The disciples are having a funeral. They're singing hymns over his dead body. Jesus hasn't stopped the funeral yet. And before he intervenes, he says, Martha, I'm a resurrection in life. Do you believe this? Walking on the fragments of the shards of my hope, walking in the midst of uncertainty, walking on top of my anger, dealing with processing unhealed emotions, wrestling with anger of my family. Martha, I'm resurrection, I'm life. Do you believe this? My friends, I wanted to preach something different. I wanted to come in here and prove to y'all I could do a whole bunch of stuff. I wanted to do backflips over the pulpit. I want to prove to y'all I can preach, holler, and scream. I wanted to show you how smart I am. But I want to tell you this. Everything we do in church comes down to your answer to this question. When Jesus tells you who he is, do you believe this? Have have we gotten so good at telling Jesus who he is that we get frustrated when Jesus tells us who he is? Do you believe I'm Jesus? And in the midst of uncertainty, do you believe in Jesus? Let me tell you something. I don't want you to put your trust in Justin Lester. I don't want you to put it in whatever name you put it in, Reverend Dr. Justin Lester, Pastor Justin, Pastor Lester, whatever PJ on the track, whatever you want to call me. Don't put your trust in me. Do you believe that Jesus is still Jesus? In the midst of a brand new pastor at a brand new church, let me just talk about it. Talk about that elephant. I'm new. I'm different. I don't know everything in the area. I still use ways to get around the community. In the midst of all that newness, Is your trust not in the uncertainty of Justin, but is it it in the certainty of Jesus? Because if your trust is in the uncertainty of Justin, you will not like some sermons I preach. You won't, because I'm going to confront some sins that you don't want to talk about. Uh huh. You will not like everything I wear, not like everything we do. You won't like some chances we take, some risks we take. But I don't want you to trust me. Is your trust in Jesus? Are your prayers centered around not how you participate in church? 
but on what God wants to do in your church. I wish I had a witness. Is your prayer what you need God to do in here? Or is your prayer what God wants to do in here? When's the last time you prayed, God, what is your heart for my church? And then follow through on his answer. Oh, I'm talking. Y'all got quiet. Do you believe the questions about life, returning to worship, being around people, your job being hybrid? We may be back in this pandemic in two months. New friends at work, hybrid work, no work, everybody resigning from work. Sickness in your family, moving across country, Supreme Court. Oh, my God. What were they doing to assist last week? Financial instability, health care access, health care lack of access. My question isn't do you trust what's around you, but do you believe God? Do you believe that when Jesus said, I'm able to do all things, that he can do all things? Do you believe that when Jesus said, you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you, that he can do all things, that you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you? Do you believe that when Jesus said that he'll raise up valleys, that you stop walking in valleys, but you wait till God raises it? Do you believe? That when he said that faith the size of a mustard seed sends mountains in the water, that you stop climbing mountains, but you watch God move it. Do you believe that if you're sick, you call upon the elders of the church and they will pray the prayer of faith and you will be healed? Do you believe that everything that Jesus said about himself is true? Martha, do you believe this? I love Martha's response. She says, Jesus, I believe. Lazarus is still dead. My church is opening in two weeks. It's, um, Lazarus, still dead. I'm, I'm, my job is still making me come in, but I like working from home. But, but Lazarus, but I, but I believe God. I, my, my marriage is not where I want it to be, but, but, but I believe God. My, my money is not where I want it to be, but, but I believe God. And, and I know what I see, but I believe God. I know what I'm going through, but I believe God. I know what's giving, making me want to stay in my bed all day long, but I believe God. I know what's making me want to give up on my life, but I believe God. I know suicide is knocking at my door, but I believe God. I know divorce is knocking at my door, but I believe God. I know that people don't like me, but I believe God. I know things are not going how I want it to go, but I believe God. And because I believe God, if God doesn't do it, I still believe him. And if God does do it, I'll keep on believing him because I don't believe in myself. I wish I had somebody under the sound of my voice. Life is telling me to give up, but I believe God. My money's telling me to throw in the towel, but I believe God. My faith is not as strong as I want it to be, but I believe God. My children are making me lose my mind, but I believe God. My life is making me go crazy, but I believe God. I'm afraid to get on Facebook sometimes, but I believe God. I wish I had somebody in these comments right now. I believe God. My money's funny, but I believe God. My change is strange, but I believe God. I believe God too much to give up right now. Somebody toss your head back, open up your mouth, and say, I believe God. 
My hope is fragmented, but I believe God. My peace is scandalized, but I believe God. And here's the reason why I believe God, because if God says it, it's got to happen. And so since God gave me peace, I believe God. Since God gave me joy, I believe God. Since God gave me hope, I believe God. Somebody high five somebody and say, I believe God. I believe God for my marriage. I believe God for my children. And it does not yet appear what we shall be or what we will be. But I believe. Somebody high five somebody around you. Say, I believe God. I'm trying to leave this church. I promise you. I had something else. I'm trying to leave this. But I believe God. I believe God to explode this church. I believe God to send us to multiple locations. I believe God to bring us new resources. I believe God to heal some relationships. I believe God to send new individuals. I believe God for baptism. I believe God for dedication. I I wish I had somebody. I believe God too much to give up right now. Somebody toss your head back and say, I believe God. I'm trying to leave this. I'm trying to leave it. I dare somebody begin to walk around this church and believe God. I dare somebody get out your pews and believe God. I believe God for healing in my church. I believe God for restoration in my church. I believe God for healing my church. I believe. I believe that God will raise up a standard. I'm trying to get out of here, but I feel my granddaddy on me. I wish I had somebody that could help me close this sermon and rise and shine and give God the glory because you believe God that God will fix it. God will change it. God will rearrange it. God will open up doors. God will close doors. God will heal your body. God will restore your marriage. God will turn around your children. Is there anybody in this building that can help me close this sermon? Stand on your feet. Lift up your hands and say, I believe that God will make a way out of nowhere. I believe that God will restore my church. I believe that God will. Won't he do it? I said, won't he do it? Won't he do it? If you know he will, toss your head back, open up your mouth, find your best praise, bring it up, and let the redeemed say it. Say it. Look at somebody say, I believe God. Come on. Look at somebody say, I believe God. 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 Somebody feels like praising him right there. Find to look at somebody else and say, I believe God. My staff meeting won't kill me. My debt won't kill me. Credit cards won't kill me. My body won't kill me. Because I believe. Take 10 seconds. Give God the best praise you've got. Because I believe God.